This is Wicked Spursy, a simple conversation about our football club, Tottenham Hotspur. Look for us at the start of every week on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on Twitter, where we are at Wicked Spursy. Come on, you Spurs, and let's get started with the show. Okay, we are live. This is Wicked Spursy, and you are joined today by Mike, Steve, and a special guest that we'll introduce you to momentarily. But first, Mike, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing well. It's been a great uh, a great week work-wise, but uh, sports-wise, not so much. We'll, we'll get into that, though. We sure will. Steve, how about you? Nice to see you. How are you? Yeah, I mean, I was good until I started thinking about these uh, last couple results, huh? and now it's all just coming flooding back to me. Right? What can you do, huh? What can you do? It doesn't make for a happy Valentine's Day by any means. But uh, hey, to liven things up, we're joined by by a new friend, Brian. Brian from Rhode Island. So welcome to Wicked Spursy, and Brian, we'd love for you to say hi and tell us a little about a little bit about yourself. Hey, guys, pleasure to be on, and uh, congrats on getting this thing launched. I know it's. Uh... You know, um, it's like that line from Jerry Maguire, you know, it's like, uh, that's how you become great, man. Hang your balls out there. Um, <laughs> so uh, congratulations on getting it launched. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to happy to be here. Um, I'm, uh, it's my first podcast. So, uh, you know, my, my inexperience will absolutely show through. Um, <clears throat> but I was, I was very interested in your first couple of episodes, your kind of Spurs origin stories. Um, and, uh, mine is, um, you know, for an American, unless you have some direct connection to somewhere in the UK, there isn't, there's an element of it being somewhat arbitrary at some point. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll have to just own up to, and just that it is what it is. And I don't think it makes it any less sincere. Uh, for me, like I took a gap year between high school and college, uh, and I, um, what, like work for six months and then travel for six months, uh, and both in Australia and then in Nice, France, where I, where I was during that gap year, you know, you're just much more exposed to how huge the premier league is around the world than you were in America at the time. This is 2002. Um, so started really getting interested in uh, football generally there. Um, and then happened to be, uh, reading the economist, uh, I remember it vividly, um, and uh, they had a massive. I'm a massive Red Sox fan, um, and you know, still am. Uh, those Spurs may have taken number one place in my heart, but don't tell them the rest of my family. Uh, but reading uh, that uh, Manchester United had signed a global margin, uh, merchandising deal uh, with the New York Yankees at the time, which has since faded. But I just was like, okay, that's enough. I know I hate Manchester United now because the you know friend of my enemy is my enemy. So, uh, and then as time went on, you know, I retained an interest, and in, uh, particularly when NBC started broadcasting the Premier League back, that'd be what six, seven years ago now. Um, the uh, uh, New York Times, I believe, had like a big spread on. Okay, you can finally watch the Premier League. What team should you support, basically? Which I'm sure got a lot of traffic, and uh, went through and. Again, being a Red Sox fan, when I got to the description of Tottenham, it was like, you know, amazing team, great history, uh, have a way of uh, inflicting excruciating losses on their support, their avid supporters. And I was like, well, I know how, I know, I already know how to be a fan of a club that's like that. Yeah, I know that feeling, right? Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, did a little more research, 
about, you know, they've been a pretty progressive club over time. Uh, you know, the first, uh, I think the first club in Europe to recognize their LGBTQ supporters group back in the 70s, which is pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> the origin of uh, the club calling, the, uh, you know, supporters calling themselves Yids, which I always thought was kind of cool as like a solidarity with their uh, Jewish members, basically, during racist periods in the 50s and 60s. So it's had like a kind of a cool spirit uh, to me, as well as I was already well prepared to be uh, brutally disappointed. So I just felt well calibrated and it just became a real kind of passion from there. Brian, that's a fantastic story. And what you're making me think about is that Boston connection, the Red Sox connection, obviously used to be in the dis- used to expecting the disappointment, right? But then over time, what happens is the expectations rise and uh, there's a whole new level of disappointment when, when higher expectations are not met. So it's, I think it's intriguing just where we are now and how your story fits into that. So thanks for sharing that. Thanks for being here with us. Excited to, excited to talk through some things. So why don't we uh, get started with the obvious? Let's, let's do some recap on some challenging experiences this past week. We had Everton midweek and we had city at the weekend. Why don't we start with Everton a high scoring affair? Steve, what'd you think? What was that? And why, why do I feel the way I feel? You know, this is a, such a great segue from all this talk about disappointment because that's really what that was. I mean, for, for the last couple of, uh, weeks months even at this point you know fans have been calling for jose to you know put out this attacking display really go at it stop this whole you know defend deep defend as a group type thing and for me that's pretty much what we saw on display at everton you know we had four great goals um you know two coming off set pieces which is just not usual for for spurs uh especially (laughs) sanchez there (laughs) Um, so, you know, from an attacking perspective, there were a lot of positives, but then you have the defense, or I guess the better way to say it is the lack of defense. Um, and, you know, I, I was making a comment during that game, uh, you know, it looks like for the first 15 minutes that Sanchez was going to make me eat my words. You know, early goal, he actually put in some some decent defensive tackles. And I'm sitting there like, wow, you know, I came on this show for the last couple of weeks and all I do is just trash talk him. And here he is, you know, turning it around as if, you know, somebody played my voice to him and said, do you want this guy to be right? Fortunately for me, unfortunately for Spurs, he then, you know, collapsed entirely on defense and pretty much vindicated my feelings towards him right now. Um, so collapsed though, and reverted to the mean, you know, yeah. bingo, bingo. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those where, you know, yes, we lost the game, but I, I was able to look at it and go, well, at least I wasn't wrong. So for me, that was the highlight, you know, outside of the, the attacking display. Um, but yeah, that defense, man, I, I don't know what we got to do. It seems like we just need to rip the Band-Aid off, dump them all out there, and just start fresh because uh, I'm just not seeing much uh, from them that, that's given me a lot of optimism here. And not to mix not to mix matches, but the Sanchez story this past week. Like, So he gets the brace on Wednesday, right? That was Wednesday. Gets the brace on Wednesday, you know, probably the highest he's been. And then the experience against City 
literally he's a meme now, you know, chewing on turf, just, just absolutely twisted up and embarrassed. Like to go from that high to that low in, in one, in a span of a few days, gotta be rough on the dude. I mean, it really does have to, have to be tough. That, that slow motion, that slow motion when that was happening, I watched that frame by frame and it looks like it's cut. It's like, it's edited weirdly. It's like he's turned around and then all of a sudden it's just like his arms are behind him and his face planting. I don't know what happened. Gundogan has has some crazy feet, man. Either that or somebody did some clever editing on that uh, on that clip. <laughs> a friend of mine said that it, it looked like uh, you know, like in the Harry Potter movies, like when a spell gets cast, a cast on somebody playing Quidditch, like it's like someone was hexing him from the side. Like, <laughs> did he lose feeling in his arms? Like, was the move that he, a stroke in his like? Why did he allow himself to face plant? I just don't. Anyway. I, we we all have many thoughts on Sanchez. Let's not. Uh, Must be a snowboarder. Why <laughs> such a fun topic all at once? But <laughs> Brian, keep going. How did you feel about that match? What what were what were you thinking? <clears throat> I actually was really encouraged. Um, I I think, um, and I know we'll get to the city match, and yeah, well, uh, but I'm still actually encouraged, uh, both from like you know the managerial perspective of, you know. Uh, a manager with um, a respectable history, a healthy ego, and a reputation for not really caring um, about what people think he should do. Uh, it, not that we all have, you know, uh, we're not winning in the conventional wisdom uh, thing necessarily, with due respect to all of your excellent observations in previous podcasts. But, um, you know, we could be wrong. Uh, I think one of your, I think it was one of you guys or one of your guests in a previous episode basically said, you know, we're not, is we're not privy to what's going on on the inside, right? Like there could be a lot of things going on, but as someone who's watched <clears throat> almost every <clears throat> Spurs game for like seven years straight, I think, um, you know, you get to know the ebbs and flows of your team and what's working and what's not. And I think that the conventional wisdom in this instance uh, is very well expressed by you guys, Stephen in particular, um, was, was correct. Um, and to see them kind of, uh, revamp a little bit the formation, um, and I'm not a tactical you know, analyst uh, par excellence like some of you guys are, but um, to revamp the formation, also to recognize that the only people with a pulse in like the Brighton game, I think, yeah, the Brighton game were Lamella and Mora, and have them get starting roles, I think, was well deserved. Um, I do think that as much as uh, Poppy and his, uh, as Mike and his son are. Uh, you know, lovers of, of Lucas, um, and I, I respect his contributions. He's only got about 35 minutes of legs in him, it seems like. So really, as much as we need him to give some energy at the start and maybe overexpend that energy at the start, um, it seems like he does, uh, he, he loses it at about the 60-minute mark, like, completely. Um, but overall, I thought it was encouraging. I thought the offense uh, was encouraging. Um, <clears throat> and, Stephen, to your point, um, I think it really just does expose the problem that we have at right back and, and right center back, basically. That whole area is um, not well managed, which is why, again, we'll get to it. But Tanganga getting the start uh, against City, I thought was a much better decision. And until Raheem Sterling switched sides, uh, he was doing a pretty good job locking that down, actually. So if we could say that Eric Dyer never plays center back again and we just have Toby until we get a long-term replacement, then I would probably be fairly happy. 
Mike, how do you feel about the the Everton match? I'm wondering uh, as that as that game was going back and forth like a pinball machine. What was your mindset? We're going to get this, or we're we not going to get this? And how did you feel about just the overall vibe of the team? Um, I, I I thought the the, the first actually the, the entire game, but the, the first thirty minutes in particular. I mean, we were holding possession. We were we were dominating the ball. Uh, something we you know the Spurs that you haven't seen Spurs do really this year. Um, I thought everything was going well until you know the thirty minute mark, where then all of a sudden you have what an eight ten minute spot where it's just completely dreadful. Everything broke down. Everything like. Yeah, didn't we you know, go from up 1-0 to true. down 3-1 in the span of eight minutes, I think it was? It was eight minutes? Yeah, yeah. okay, eight minutes. So, you know, you find you you get that kind of that feeling of dread, right? And the immediate thing that came to my mind was like, we're getting man nude right now. You know, we got that quick early goal, and now they're going to score five, six goals on us, and we're going to be embarrassed in this. Um Luckily, you know, the offensive game, the and the I mean, I'll give I'll give Mourinho credit for this. The offensive game plan to to push the ball forward, to move the ball forward, to put on attacking players like he did uh, with with Mora and Lamella. Um, I, I I thought it was a, a perfect tactic. Unfortunately, when you do that, you you tend to have an issue in the back. Um, now, Sanchez being what he is, you know, I mean, what are you going to do when you have somebody who just refuses to defend? Um, he, he, he ball watches. He's, he's not paying – it seems like he's not paying attention half the time. I was going to say, someone get that kid some Adderall. Like, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean and, and, you saw, and you saw it happen on that third, on that third goal uh, in the City game, which, like Brian said, we'll get to, but, like – it's just one of those things where you're constantly going, what the hell is this guy doing out there? I don't know what's happening. Like, are, are you 12 years old? Like, I wonder if that's like a confidence thing. Like, like I think there is a jet, like an ebb and flow of confidence in this team. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was going with that. It's like, yeah. <clears throat> that's the problem with, with a Jose team is that he's going to beat you down and beat you down and beat you down. And if you don't have that confidence, he's not, he's not the type of manager who's going to use a confidence building manager. He's a do what I want you to do and do it well, or you can sit down. You're right. And You're like right. you said, he doesn't give. He doesn't care. You know, he doesn't care what everybody else thinks about him. Just unfortunately, when you sit down, there's not a skilled player to come and replace you. Like that's the problem, right. That we have. So there's there's your segue. So we finished up a five four yeah. loss. Um, we we played over 120 minutes, and then we had a match against likely the best team in the world at the moment uh, with, with tired legs and, and a defeated spirit. Uh, so let's get to that. The, the team was depleted. The, the legs were tired. The, the attitude wasn't there. Some things looked okay to start. And then it just went about kind of the way we all expected it might go. Uh, Brian, how about we go to you? What, what were you thinking as the, as the city match played out? Um, 
Well, I was thinking I really wish I hadn't bet my friend 25 bucks that Spurs were going to win. Um, I, I felt like, uh, so, you know, <laughs> making confidence bets like that is sometimes daring the universe to do something unpredictable. Um, so uh, it turned out the universe was uh, unswayed this particular time. But uh, I think that there were there were moments of like almost like mini proofs of concept of how things could come together in the future with, I think, uh, David, to your point, um, if the right people, once some the wrong people get put down, uh, and some other people come up, um, there are proofs of concept in that match. Um, like I'm, I'm, I am ride or die for Lamella. I think, uh, I know that's an unpopular opinion, particularly, I know Steven, you read the, uh, come on you Spurs, uh, subreddit which otherwise known as the greatest collection of defeatists since like, uh, I think the French <laughs> front in world war two, um, like <laughs> they're like, they're unreadable, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm right. Or right from, he brings a spark. He brings a creativity, um, that I, except when he decides to run into a packed group of four defenders right up until that moment, he really is cap- capable of flashes of brilliance. Um, I did, like I said before, Tanganga, I think was a revelation. I think he, I think he's a consistent, he's the anti Danny Rose, uh, which is a (laughs) thing. Um, I, I'm, I'm relieved to see that we have what Danny Rose thought he was is maybe what Tanganga actually is. Um, so I think that that's promising again, if I, I think Dyer, I love Dyer. I think he was great as kind of a, a defending midfielder for many years. Um, but frankly, like the fact that you speak Portuguese, uh, and you make, uh, the boss feel comfortable, it should not be your qualification being center back. You know, like if Toby Oliveira, Oliveira can take Portuguese lessons, I think he's our starter. I just, I don't, I don't get, <laughs> he's still a great defender, but, um, you know, disappointing match. We just got out, we got flatly outclassed. I think my, one of my big things is it really lays bare how much we miss, uh, Reguillon. Um, I think he was a revelation this year. He's incredible. Both that energy, the creativity. He's maybe the fastest guy we've had since Kyle Walker. Um, he's fantastic. And I, I was really missing. I think he really could have changed uh, the whole feeling of that game if he had been out there and healthy. So. Steve, talk tactics with us. What did you see that concerned you in the city match? What did you see that you liked? Uh, how did how did the thing how did the match unfold in your opinion? Yeah, you know, I, I 100% agree with Brian. I think that the way it started, you could definitely see the pieces that could have come together. Um, it, this is another one where as soon as that penalty was given away, I mean, that was it. That was game over. Um, the way the Spurs mentality is right now. It's a silly penalty like that, you know, given that goal up in the manner that they did, especially after playing relatively well, defense included, credit where it's due. Um, oh, wait, we call it what it is, a non-penalty. <laughs> a non-penalty. If anything, it was a penalty on uh, City. Yeah. Um, sorry, just... Yeah. It was at least a free kick our direction, yeah. Refing decisions aside and all that, because, I mean, that, that's just another thing that plays into it, right? Suddenly it's, I don't think that was a penalty. The ref gave it, you know, Hugo should have saved it because it was really poor and he didn't. And, you know, it's it's just issue after issue after issue just piles up on the back of your mind and it just, 
you know, it, it takes a special kind of person to bear the weight of that. You know, I think you see uh, Kane does that um, pretty well where where when things are going wrong, he still wants to like get out there and push forward. Uh, you know, and that, that's a true leader. Hoiberg, same way. He just wants to like, yeah, it, you know, it was called because of his challenge, but he still, you know, pushes forward. He's not going to be one who sulks back and, oh, well, I can never make another challenge again for the rest of the game. What was me? He's not that type of player. The problem is we have too many of that type of player where, you know, they just throw in the towel essentially like, well, that's it. You know, we gave it up and, uh, you know, suddenly there's no coming back from it. Um, the interesting thing for me that I saw were the I, 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 don't, I don't think Hoiberg has 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 that give up in in him though. I mean, no, exactly. We need to know. I, 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 maybe that's why it leads to like I, I don't know. You can't. I, I think it's not. I, it might have been a silly mistake to, to kind kind of come in on both of those were kind of like backside challenges. You know, maybe it was a mistake, but I it, it looks to me like the guy's just tired. Well, he's playing pretty much all the time. I, I yeah. blame him. I mean, when he's not in the team, we just don't look as good. You know, that confidence is, is gone. You know, he's, he's like number one on the team sheet for me right now. He's got to be. <laughs> it looks like he and Serge Aurier are, are decent buds. So I'm wondering if Serge is just kind of coaching him a bit on how to how to get unnecessary fouls and unnecessary penalties. <laughs> <laughs> No, but, but the interesting thing for me about that game is where the attacks were coming down. I think they, they had um, the breakdown statistically of where on the field Spurs were going down, and it was like almost all through the middle or the left, and it was like less than 20% coming down the right-hand side. And I think essentially what that says for me is two things. One, Tanganga's defending only. You know, There were instances, especially in the second half when we were chasing where he was pushing further up, but when we were still in it, you know, 30 minutes in the first half, he just sat back. He wasn't as adventurous going forward. And that certainly helped shut down that lane for sure. But it also severely limits the options because then you've got to worry about, you know, one of Lucas or Lamella getting out there. And both of them seem to have the same inclination to go more centrally anyway. So suddenly, instead of defending down, you know, the full the full fields from a width perspective, they only have to focus on you know two thirds of it, and really with Davies as as the left back, I, I like Davies a lot. I think he's a, he's a great support um, you know type player. Reggie's got to be the starter for me, but he, you know I I rely on Davies. I have no problem with the way he plays most of the time, um, but he doesn't offer that same attacking threat. He's you know, much more level-headed from a defensive perspective, which certainly helps. But you don't really have to worry about him running past and, you know, Sun and, and, and whipping across it. You've pretty much just got to lock Sun down on the left-hand side, and then everything else is coming through the center. It's just not going to work. Uh, and, you know, especially once they got those goals and could sit back a little more, the options just vanished. There was really nowhere for, for Spurs to go. So the puzzle that Davy has benefited from, like, like being he's the Alabama to Danny Rose's Mississippi for so long. 
Like if it weren't for Mississippi, Alabama would be the worst state in the nation. You know, like like expectations wise, I was just throwing that out there. Hey, like, Brian, we're trying to get listeners down there, man. What are you doing? You, you... <laughs> they know. They know. I'm very good. One of my best friends is from uh, from Alabama, who has no interest in sports or soccer whatsoever. But he's, he might even might even listen to this stuff. You never know. Yeah, I mean, babies for me. He, he's a more than capable backup. But, you know, I, I, whenever he has to deputize, I never really have much of a problem. He's, you know, he, he isn't, you know, spectacular at any one thing, but he does all right across the board. Um, it's just, just the problem is that when, badly by Sterling was like, and here we, and that is why you like winning the champions league, which I, you know, I think is all of our ultimate ambition. Uh, winning the league, winning the Champions League is not going to happen because there, I mean, can you imagine, um, you know, like Kylian Mbappe? Forget Danny, like Raheem Sterling is, uh, and also ran compared to Mbappe, he would get, he, his pants would be on fire. Like he would get toasted so badly. Like he cannot compete. Um, That's why I say he's only all right. You know, you don't win the yeah. Champions League with all right, you win it with a spectacular player. Um, you know, looking at, at, at Bayern Munich and what they've done with, with their, you know, left and right backs, I mean, absolutely, completely different level. And, you know, for me, Reggion's someone who can probably get there. He's certainly got the raw physical ability yes. to do it. Yes. Davies just for me is, you know, he's that backup where you're playing, you know, like a championship team in, in the cup or you're playing like a mid-table team in the league where you want to rest your star he can come in, he can do the job, no problem. But yeah, I mean, if Spurs want to take that next step, absolutely right. You need that bit more quality. Otherwise, you know, the Mbappes of the world are just going to scorch you. So I'm I, curious. I, I don't want to. I don't want to dwell too much on this game because we all knew coming in that this was probably going to be. It was probably going to be a loss right from the beginning. Honestly, I didn't have a problem with the way we played in the first half. I think I I I felt like we were defending pretty well. Um, like you said, you know, Davies was, Davies was good, man. I, I thought he defended very well. Uh, obviously Raheem Sterling was not on that side. Right. But quite honestly, like you look at, you know, Tanganga, every time he's thrown, just thrown in there, it's against a big opponent. He had to deal with Mo Salah his first, his first match, right? right. Um, on the opposite side. Then you throw him in against City and he's got to deal with with uh, with Raheem Sterling and he shut he shut Sterling down to the point where they moved him to the other side. So, I don't I didn't have a problem with the way we played in the first half. We played very well. And then what happens is Jose gets this thing going on in his head where, "Oh my god, I'm a genius. What am I going to do? I'm going to take Lucas off." Well, yeah, sure, probably Lucas deserved to be pulled, but not for Musa Sissoko, right? What happens when you put Musa Sissoko in? That means now you have to you have to drop Ndombele back, and when you drop Ndombele back, you lose that link up with your with your with your front four, right? Because now you're now you're playing defense, so you're yeah, dropping think- Ndombele back, and you have no midfield to play through anymore. So that that's where I think it, it became a problem in that second half. And, and well, that was kind of a weird thing, right? It, it was kind of like it was Sissoko came on, and you're like, okay, maybe he could play like what historically was the Eric Dyer role of like that defending midfield and link up to Ndombele, who's fast. which is what made me hate Dyer. 
but he's fa- you know Ndombele's faster. He's more creative. He's better passer. So, but and so you know, uh, there's even though uh, they don't have any uh, moose where he's from, there's a reason why that's an apt nickname, right? He's beast, Sissoko, even at his age. And um, so him being like a defending midfielder, I was kind of okay with, but it seemed like they kept swapping. So like you're saying, like he, he would drop, sometimes Ndombele would be dropping way back and Sissoko would be all the way up, you know, upfield. It just was, it seemed like a lack of discipline and real game plan. Like there, it seems like there's no permutation to the game plan and maybe that's because of you know uh squad limitations but um i, I think you're right. if he had come on and done the historic eric dyer thing i don't care if you hate it i don't care if you hated it or not he, it was better than him being a center back uh but sissoko in that role would have been better than trying to be like you know uh a, a, a like musa sissoko is not a javi or, or or my one of my favorite now ex spurs players ericsson I think Erickson is actually what we have missed uh, a lot in this squad. That confident, creative playmaker in midfield, box to box, who is, I think, still, uh, I mean, there were five seasons in a row where he created the, either the second or first most chances in all of Europe. Um, he hasn't really gotten his starring role at Inter, but tell me we couldn't use a player like that creating chances for our guys up front, you know? So, Brian, fantastic, fantastic point, I think, to segue on. Um, Yeah. I want to talk about our squad. And I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. This is going to be a really long windup for what ends up being a short pitch at the end. So um, just, I don't know, bear with me. So here's where my brain is. I want Spurs to be a perennial, unquestionable top four team, always in the Champions League. I want Spurs to be full of killers. And what I mean by that is the first and second guy at every position is someone who strikes fear in the heart of the opposition that they have to plan for. And not that um, you hope has a good day, and if they have a good day, maybe we'll be able to make something happen. I don't know that I care who the coach is as long as the coach can motivate the players and put a good product out on the field, um, a product that is both entertaining and results in wins. But we also know that wins build entertainment, right? Like nobody complains about the style when when you're getting three points on a Saturday or Sunday. Nobody nobody cares. That's why about we're all happy at the beginning of the season. Bingo, First bingo. So here's the thing: is as I was as I watched the city game come to a close. If you if you follow you know Spurs Twitter, you know read the articles and and look at the post game reaction. For me, it was really interesting because it feels like the Spurs world is starting to together turn on the players to an extent. I'm going to put Mourinho aside. Like he's a separate conversation right now. But when we look at the players and we look at the fact that for the most part, we brought in seven guys this summer, two of whom I would call studs. Hoybier and Regulon have a lot of positive things ahead of them for Spurs. The rest of the guys are occasional contributors or not contributors at all right now. Um, Pochettino talked about the painful rebuild. You know, I think we all wanted to convince ourselves that that meant we could nibble around the edges and tinker and that we'd have the rebuild. But what I saw after this City match, even though we all expected to lose, is people are finally realizing we don't have the guys to beat a team like City. When we do beat a team like City, it's on a fluke. It's on a VAR call, or it's on the fact that we we got lucky and shut them down defensively and, and had a good counter and, and, and squeaked something in. And I'm seeing this turn in terms of the, the overhaul of the team 
being critically necessary, regardless of who the manager is. So here's my quick pitch. I think we should sell Harry, sell Harry Kane now. Obviously, you can't do it right now, but you can do it this summer. I think we need to start to look at these players as assets that have value that can be used to turn this team in a direction that can be more successful on the pitch. Somebody convince me that I'm wrong. Somebody affirm that I'm right. I want to hear what you think. This is this is a okay. So this is a debate I think that's been going on for a couple of years. But so painful rebuild. Okay. Um, so we brought Jose in. Um, what what did that do? What did that do for us? You know Jose is coming in. You know Jose is coming in for silverware. He's going to get your team some silverware. He's going to turn your team around. That he's going to then he's going to burn all the bridges and leave. That doesn't tell me that the top brass want to rebuild, right? They want to they want to make a splash with like one or two guys, and then hire, you know, four or five fringe guys, you know, three or four fringe guys on on a transfer. I I I, I honestly, I I would be open to to selling Harry Kane if it meant that we're going to attract a a big young you know, striker to take his place, but you need somebody there to, that's going to replace him. Vinicius is not the guy to replace him right now. The, the guy's just learning how to play English football. He's been in South America his entire career. So, you know, you have to have a Portugal, backup right? plan. <clears throat> for a fairly good team in Portugal. Um, oh, well, okay, okay. He played for Benfica, right? I don't want to interrupt so, your point. You're, you're, I, I think I'm... I'm, I'm not aligned with you on this point, but that really more than anything means you should finish it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, I don't necessarily think we need to sell Harry Kane. If we do, I think, I think we need to have some sort of backup plan. Um, I think I, in all honesty, if you sell Harry Kane, you absolutely cannot get rid of, of, of Hunter son um, because then you're going to be in trouble. All right, you've lost you've lost your two biggest attackers, right? So we cannot sell Son and Kane together. So I don't I don't necessarily think we have to sell Harry Kane, but if we do, we have we better have a backup plan because Troy Parrott's not it. So then, Mike, how would you approach a rebuild? We know that to get players, we need to be an, we need to be attractive. So you need, we, need, I, we need money. I know you don't want to keep. You know, I know you don't want to keep on this thing about Jose Mourinho, Mourinho. But here's the thing: Jose Mourinho is not there for the rebuild. He's not going to rebuild your team because, like I said, he's going to be gone in three years, probably a year and a half if he loses to West Ham next week. You know, so. That and that's my take on that is that he's gone if he loses to West Ham, he's going to be gone. But but the, the, Jose Mourinho is is your is your number one issue is that he's not going to be there for the rebuild. So why not? Bring I agree with that part. He's like the hot girlfriend of the What's that, Brian? Uh, no, Mourinho is like the hot girl that you date, and she's like she's tons of fun or hot significant other, tons of fun but crazy. Uh, not the not necessarily the one you marry. You know, uh, whereas I still am like, I feel like I got divorced from Tino and it was like a really emotional breakup for me, you know, like I, all the time. But when Jose goes, it'll be like one of those crazy people you date. And then you're like, well, that was certainly interesting. And I learned a lot, but 
and it was fun. But, uh, yeah, exactly. But I, I don't think selling Harry Kane is, is the way to do it. So, Brian, you're saying uh, Jose was a crazy rebound and not a gentle rebound is basically what you're saying, right? Uh, I will say my, my opinion of Jose has evolved uh, thanks to the uh, Daniel Levy uh, or, <laughs> yeah, the, the Chairman Levy, uh, you know, puff project of the all or nothing Tottenham Hotspur Amazon show. Uh, which I really got to say, I learned a lot from that. And my opinion of Jose did improve in watching that. Um, even my impression of the the chairman improved. Now, that is, of course, exactly what they wanted out of that show. Uh, but <clears throat> I, he, he's less of like my, you know, uh, less of my comparison than uh, that I was just joking about than maybe I originally thought. But he was also probably the most experienced manager that was available that was out there. Um, so if you if the locker room, uh, the dressing room had really gotten so toxic at the end under Pochettino, because whatever, I don't still don't know the origins of it. Maybe it was because everybody knew that he was planning to sell everybody and scrap the whole team that they had built over time and completely rebuild. Maybe that's true. And people resented that because they knew they were on the chopping block. Um, but it was pretty toxic there at the end from all accounts. And so if he had to go. I hate to say it, Jose was one of the only people out there with the kind of pedigree and, you know, winning history that was available, even if I also think that he's a sociopath. Um, it's like, you know, he's a sociopath that wins. It's like, how mercenary do I really want to be about my favorite club? And the answer it turns out is I'm willing to be relatively mercenary about uh, that choice there, I think. Steve, how about you? What do you think? Uh, let's Let's take the Harry Kane question sell him or not, and then let's expand that. Is there anybody on the club that's untouchable as we approach the summer and and need to look at a rebuild that still needs to occur? That is (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert, Mike, come on. Uh, No, I mean, for me, Kane is is a no-sell for me, and I'll tell you why. First, yes, he would get us an absolute boatload of money. There's absolutely no denying that. If we were to sell him, whoever would be getting him, given the length of his contract and and what he's capable of producing, we'd be getting somewhere near a record fee without question. The problem I have with that is you've got a dozen other players who we desperately need to sell that in order for us to do anything with that money, they need to go first. So it, it, it to me, it's like we're, we're, you know, we would give ourselves a whole lot of cash and then we would have nothing to spend it on because there's really nowhere to go. You know, we got to move the dead weight out first. The other thing is if we do get that cash, it just increases the value or the perceived value of anybody else we would be going for it was the entire reason why when bail was sold way back when at this point uh most of the shopping was done before the sale everybody knew it was coming um you know for for the most part it it wasn't a, a big secret or anything but they still kept it downplayed just so that they weren't price gouged on on some of the players that were brought in. And speaking of the Gareth Bale transfer, that's the third reason why I wouldn't want to sell Cade. He's arguably, undeniably, our best player um, by far. Um, You know, you might say Son on his day could be a little more influential or or whatever, and 
you know, we, we can have that discussion for who's the truly best player on the team for another day, but he's undeniably up there. Top three, for sure, best players on the team. He's second all-time goal scorer for Tottenham. Um, if you're going to get rid of him and bring on another seven guys, it better be the right seven guys. And I don't think our recruitment strategy of late uh, has necessarily given me any kind of hope that we would invest wisely. I mean, if you look at the seven that were brought in from the bail sale, mixed results there. I think only Erickson was... Uh, Erickson and Lamella. Lamella's still here. Erickson was probably, you know, one of the longest serving, um, but the rest of them just didn't pan out. You, we brought seven guys in, you know, this past summer. Two of them, again, only two out of seven are really looking like they're they're going to be helpful for us in the long run. If you're going to get that much money and use it to reinvest in the club, you know, first I would want to make sure that we've got the right decision makers in place to do that. Because otherwise, we would just be getting rid of our best player to fill in with you know some mediocrity and hope that one of them's a gem. Um, I would much rather at this point go down with Harry Kane leading us to glory than to get rid of him and then try to figure out where the you know seven guys we buy to replace him are going to fit in and well, which one of them is actually going to step up and and, and do something. Um, so yeah, I, I'd much rather instead of selling Kane, sell the you know half a dozen players who desperately need to be sold uh, due to either underperformance, poor attitude, whatever it might be, and use the funds there to get the players that we need in place. Um, and, and you know, to, to the earlier point, Vinicius, he's not up to speed in the Premier League. He's not a backup. He's only on loan, too. we got to remember that. If we don't yeah. buy him outright, then that just leaves us with Troy Parrott, who is not – looking like he's going to be, you know, the Harry Kane replacement right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, lots to consider. Um, but all in all, keep Kane for me, uh, without a doubt. So that's a fair point. Let me ask this of you guys. Does that change if Harry Kane wants to leave? He's he's dropped hints previously that as long as the team shows that it's committed to winning, uh, that he wants to stick around and win a trophy with his home club. But I don't know if I'm in his shoes – do you see the current status is committed to winning? Like, what are you thinking if you're Harry Kane? And then how does that affect our, our judgment on whether or not you, you sell him if he's got the interest in going? Any opinions? Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. Yeah, for me, it, I mean, if he wants to go, I, I can't say at this point I blame him if he wanted to, if he, if he you know, forced Levy's hand and said, look, I need out of here. Levy's still going to get a ton of money for him regardless. I mean, look at, Modric look at Bale when they tried to go it was still you know Levy's game you know he's not he's not dumb for I guess for lack of a better word he's a, a shrewd businessman he's going to get all the money out of him he'll let Harry go if he really wants to go but not until he addresses all the other things that need to be done first um, to make sure again that he's going to get the best possible deal for him and for the other players that we would inevitably bring in as a result. That's just, that's my take on that. I, I don't think that Harry Kane. I don't think that Harry Kane. Um, if if he wants out right now, he's already he's already told Levy that he wants out. So you could win a trophy, you could not win a trophy. We could miraculously somehow come back and win the league. You know, you know, it, some crazy thing happened. He's still going to leave if he wants to leave. The, the difference between him and Erickson is that. He's going to play for his team until 
he leaves. You know, he's not going to give up on his team. It doesn't matter who the manager is. It doesn't matter who his teammates are. He's not going to give up on his team. He's going to go out there and play when he's asked to play because he's because he's a professional. You know, you don't see him out there talking trash about everybody, you know, blaming things on everybody else. You know, Harry Kane goes out there. He does his job. He does it very well. And quite honestly, if he wants to leave, we should probably do the respectful thing and let him leave. But again, I don't think you can. You can't do it unless you have a backup plan. You need you need that those one or two guys that you're going to buy with that money. Those two young guys, three young guys that you can buy with a Harry Kane money that are already kind of you know adjusted to the English style of football because Harry Kane's a tough dude, man. Yeah, you, you can't know, use that money on a project. Stuff. That, I that, think Stephen's point from before yeah. is is really operative about. Do we do we trust the scouting staff at the moment to not make dumb decisions? Now let's let's not forget the first signing of the Jose Mourinho era was Gedson Fernandez. Talk about an impact player, right? Uh, so I mean, like, what I don't want to have happen is uh, like the success ratio that you mentioned from the bail money. I would call Erickson an unqualified success. Uh, I would call yeah. Villa, when his when his hip hasn't disintegrated has been a mild to good success. And everybody else, uh, I think we all were kind of almost embarrassed for them while they were at Spurs. Um, so Getson Fernandez, if that's the if that's our first splash signing because we felt like we needed to do it, I'm sorry, I don't trust you with the 400 million dollars that we might get for Harry Kane. Um, plus, I don't think you know, Mike, what you're saying, you know, there are a thousand different examples of this, but success on the field as a really good way of making people think that their own pasture is greener than others, right? Like, I think that that is the way that you keep Harry Kane is uh, keep him happy and keep, let's win things, right? I think even any of the trophies that are still in contention, if we came home with, um, and I will say that the odds of winning the league are statistically improbable at the moment, but, you know, we still got, got the Carabao Cup and the Europa League, both of which would be huge. Um, I think that coming home with either one of those keeps everybody that we care about happy. And I also agree that there are more than a half dozen people that I'd like to see go. But I also, I mean, I think the big question here is, do we want to be Real Madrid or do we want to be Barcelona? Right. Real Madrid with all that Franco, you know, fastest money that they got from the forties through, uh, you know, now, um, they were always big on acquisitions, right? They acquired their way to stratospheric dominance. Barcelona has invested in its youth development from, you know, signing the best seven-year-olds in the world um, all the way up through, you know, people making the first team. Uh, a significant portion of uh, the starters that have allowed Barcelona to be as dominant as they have over the last 10 years are homegrown players. And that's when- Harry Winks was a seven-year-old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm out here for Harry Wings too, but that's a separate. Uh, he's, he's not a, not exactly uh, you know Messi getting on a plane from Argentina when he was nine. I guess we can. That's, that's true. Uh, but he's still one of our own. In Pochettino, uh, in the Pochettino era, we Spurs invested like crazy in their youth academy. It's exactly what he did at Southampton. 
Um, and apparently like we've sold a lot of them, but, mm -hmm. and at great profit to the club of uh, also, you have these guys that are coming up, um, like Oliver skip, right. Apparently is just crushing it yeah. at Norwich right now, uh, as a creative central midfielder. Like that's the kind of guy that came up through that system. Um, that's the guy that's going to replace Harry Kane or Harry Winks. Uh, maybe. And, and, and I'd be fine with that. But my point is I would rather, uh, like it is cheaper to have um, it will always be cheaper for a team like Spurs. That's a name brand team. I will, I will, I think they should go the Barcelona route and invest in youth and bringing people up, getting first team, you know, chances. Um, and, you know, if there's not a spot for everybody, sure. Sell them at a profit and reinvest that into the youth academies. It's a good sustainable long-term thing. And it's a lot cheaper than trying to compete with, you know, uh, oil money that runs Manchester City and PSG for the top players in the world. I think it's 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 more viable for us to go that route. I don't want to get into a bidding war with you know uh, a, a, a an emirate from the Middle East. It, I don't think that Levy's going to win that bidding war most of the time. Um, so I'm I don't think we should help sell Harry Kane. Uh, both because I don't trust how we would spend the money and because I just don't. I don't think you sell a guy in the prime of his career, particularly when he's developed the relationship that he has with Son. I mean, they've already blown away the uh, you know link-up record between the two of them. So I don't think you sell Harry, um, and I think you double down on the youth academies and giving younger players you know a real shot at the first team. Uh, Jose's not historically known for that. Uh, he is much more of the Real Madrid, let's go acquire our way to greatness. And I'm not saying that Youth Academy can be the only Spurs game dominance, but I think it has to be the core component. All right, you guys may have convinced me. You may have convinced me. I'm going to keep rethinking that. So let's, uh, Brian, you, you, you presented a great segue to the next topic I want to talk about, and that's leadership from the top, right? So, um, you know, of course there are people that have, have screamed for 20 years, Levy out or, or Enoch out. Uh, just this last week, I saw a rumor that Jeff Bezos, the former Amazon CEO, was looking at buying Spurs, and we know a little something about the relationship there. Brian, you mentioned like the oil money piece, right? The the uh, the chic money, if you will, and uh, what that looks like. So, as you describe that Barca model with with a, a a flourishing youth system, wise strategic leadership from the fiscal side of things, um, if you look at our club. We've had some good business moves made in the past 20 years, right? We're positioned with the most beautiful stadium in the world that will be a phenomenal moneymaker when the world returns back to normal. Uh, we have we have seen our profitability. We've seen our value climb and climb. We're in the conversation with those big teams, which is why the discrepancy between where we are as a, a financial entity and then where we are on the, on the pitch, you know, that discrepancy create some cognitive dissonance that's hard to hard to make sense of. But I guess my question is, in the pursuit of hardware, if, if playing football is really about your club achieving status where it can, can acquire or be in the hunt for hardware all the time, what's the legit way to get there? Is it the big money approach or is it a local grassroots approach or is it somewhere on the spectrum between those? Like, what, what do we think the fan base would be okay with in terms of le financial leadership of the club and, and how we progress through that? Steve, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, and 
I mean, I can be pretty brief in this too. I, I speaking as one of these Spurs supporters who has followed this club for many, many years now, I would much rather we go Brian's approach, invest in ourselves, invest in our system, and you know, really get guys who live and breathe Spurs. Um, by the way, particularly if we call it the Brian approach, I really think that would be a good <laughs> Yeah, that works for me. But I mean, I you know, I, I look at City and it's like, it, it almost feels soulless, right? You go out, you, you drop $100 million on a player, they come in, yeah, they're world-class, yeah, they help you win stuff. But I don't know, to me, it, there's just no fun in that. Like, those guys are, are there for the paycheck. They're not there for, for the club itself. They're not there for the fans. They don't, you know, bleed lily white. They don't go out there and, and wear it all, you know, on, on their sleeve. You know, maybe some of them do. Maybe I'm, I'm just an outsider who's not involved in that fan base. But I don't know. I, I don't think City fans have a song about so-and-so. He's one of our own. Are there City fans? I didn't know that they actually existed. There are people who support that club. Um, yeah, there are people who used to belong in a band called Oasis and then uh, a Bingo. bunch of other people <laughs> in Manchester. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather, you know, I, I'd rather we, we invest in, in Tottenham, we invest in, in players that are going, that want to be here, that want to give it their all. Um, even if we got that influx of cash, I, yeah, I would rather invest it in, in youth, youth scouting, youth development. And, you know, if that means we're going to suck for, you know, another five, ten years before, you know, these players sprout up and, you know, start to be, you know, Barca level good, so be it. Like, I'd rather go down, you know, fighting behind players who want to be there than people who are just earning their paycheck. And, you know, if things don't go well, well, I'll just transfer out. No problem. So so I get a, I get a little take on this because I feel – I just keep coming back to if you're going to, if you want to build from the bottom up, you have to start at the top. And if Mourinho wants to sit there and just keep bringing these guys in and keep bringing these guys in, looking for the big splash, looking for the, for the, the next big kind of uh, Mourinho style player that he, that he likes to, that he likes to bring in a defensive minded player. Um, and then he's going to keep, you know, keep telling us that, Oh no, no, no. I'm telling them to push forward, push forward, push forward. Those guys are not going to be the guys when the next manager comes in. And I'm telling you that Jose is going to be gone soon. And so we have to start at the top whether that means Levy out or Enoch out or Jose out, so be it. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that we're going to need to find a manager before that wants to develop the 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 young academy, the academy players, because Jose doesn't seem to want to do that. He seems to want to loan them out and loan them out and loan them out, and then bring in guys like Doherty and bring in guys like. Fernandez and Joe Hart, you know, so you, and who? Oh, don't, don't use that language in front of me. <laughs> but Mike so, knows like I can, I can normally only say that English goalkeeper who's on Tottenham Hotspur, uh, can you only say his yeah, and last name with an expletive in the middle. <laughs> so, you know, Gaza was fine. There was no problem with him. He, he agreed. He, agreed. 
he did a great job when you know when Luis is out. Um, and that brings me to, um, and I know we got to probably we're probably close to wrapping it up, but um, Hugo's probably near the end of his rope here. Um, it's going to be time to replace him soon, and and we have some very nice, uh, very nice young men uh, in the academy and in the under uh, the under twenty ones that can that are that are coming up that can play for us. Um, and we're not going to have Joe Hart is not going to be our our backup for the future. Um, we're going to be we're going to be out there in the market for them in the summer too. So, um, but like I said before, you have to start from the top in order to bring up the bottom because Jose is not interested in building your your academy system. I think that's pretty well put, Mike. Yeah, and you're right. We're we're approaching time. Uh, you know, I have to say it out loud. If we if we go past an hour, Mike starts asking for overtime. So we need to just make sure that we manage this, you know, in, in an appropriate way. So Brian, I want to go to you, and I want to thank you for that. Was a union dig, by the way. That, <laughs> that, not at all. That was that was just a that was just a a poppy dig. That's all. Um, Wait, you're getting paid for this. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Um, Brian, I want to thank you for being here, man. It's it's been fantastic to have you and have your insight. And I wanted to to also point out, um, much like Steve, Mike, and I are connected to Vermont Spurs, the local Vermont Supporters Club. You're connected to Rhode Island Spurs. Can you tell us a little bit about the Rhode Island Club? Yeah. Um, so, uh, really, got to give a shout out to. Uh, Tom in particular from the Rhode Island Spurs. I'm going to send him a link to this pod after it goes up. Um, but just really, it's been really awesome last couple of years fighting, uh, as you guys know, uh, mutually uh, fanatic, uh, knowledgeable Spurs fans um, usually meet up when you could eat indoors safely with strangers. Uh, we met up at a, a bar in Providence uh, every weekend, uh, and even sometimes on weekday afternoons, I like to watch, uh, you know, FA Cup games and uh, Champions League and Europa Cup games and stuff. So I cannot wait till we get back to it. But really, shout out to uh, the RI Spurs guys. They only set it up in the last couple of years, but um, like you guys, it's an officially acknowledged chapter. Um, they've done a great job organizing it. Um, uh, yeah, uh, at R.I. Spurs on Instagram, but they, they really are, uh, it's been really wonderful to have them kind of take leadership and uh, and get something get something going. They don't have a podcast, though, so you guys, Vermont's one up on Rhode Island in that respect, so um, good good on you guys, but... Uh, that's why we had to nail down the Wicked, uh, you know? That's right. <laughs> had to take ownership of the Wicked, absolutely. But Brian, so that, 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 thanks so much, there, guys. It's been great. I appreciate how we kept the shout out for the end so that anybody in Rhode Island Spurs who wants to hear the shout out has to listen to the <laughs> Listen to the end, first. absolutely. <laughs> That's well put. I told you, I'm willing to be mercenary about this. <laughs> full, full credit to Brian on that one. But no, it, it's it's great. And, you know, we, um, with, the, with our Vermont group, of course, we're missing being able to actually look each other face to face in person and have that, have that beer and, and burger at a pub. And when those days return, hopefully sooner rather than later, excited to um, come visit you guys down in Providence and just make Absolutely. all those connections in person. That'll be, that'll be fantastic. But thank you, Brian, for being with us. And we may just have to have you join us again, if that's okay with you. 
Absolutely. This has been a blast, guys. Thank you so much. Awesome. So, hey, once again, um, we are Wicked Spursy. By the way, we're available now on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on Pocket Casts. And you can check us out on Twitter. We are at Wicked Spursy on Twitter. So, gentlemen, have a fantastic day. Let's have a good conversation next week about a, a great week with a Europa game and West Ham, hopefully successful early Sunday morning. That's a big one. That's a must win, as, as I think our guy Steve would say. But uh, for the time being, come on, you Spurs. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great day. Be safe.